Today, I bring you a friend of mine, Tom Murphy. I had known Tom for about two years when we were in a pub in the same company one day when the subject of the Berlin Wall came up. I was waxing lyrical about the, the causes of it and what was known and certain elements of it and Tom piped in and said, Dahi, that's uh, not how it happened. I continued my ranting and opinionated views and Tom again piped in a few minutes later and said, Dahi, that's not how it happened. Um, I argued back against Tom and told him my views and philosophical reasoning for why I thought this is why it happened and Tom said, Dahi, that's not how it happened. I know because I was there. I was somewhat taken aback by this and it began a long conversation between me and Tom that has lasted now a couple of years. Tom is reluctant to talk about his experiences um, because Tom saw a lot of suffering. Tom saw a lot of dignified people put through indignity and it's not something Tom wants to use for entertainment purposes or or to win arguments or but through my conversations with Tom he has caused a lot of reflection in me caused me to rethink how I see things how I see war-torn areas how I see the people that come from these war-torn areas and being that this uh, podcast is about causing reflection I do hope Tom causes reflection in you listeners me and Tom talked about some of the places he's been, places like Somalia, Uganda, Rwanda, Northern Ireland, Moscow, Iraq, even Connemara in his childhood. Well, Tom has been in interesting places at interesting times and I think has some interesting insights. We discussed the importance of community. We discussed life and death. We discussed the visible benefits and the hidden costs of our modern lifestyle. So without further delay, I bring you my dear friend, Tom Murphy. Hello, Tom, and welcome to Philosophy. <laughs> Philosophy, I love it, I love it. I love the sort of the dare ass to boil you on the sea of fog or whatever. Yeah, the wonder above the fog. The wonder above the frog, you know, yeah, yeah. your ass. Yeah. I, I somehow think Nietzsche would like it with his ass out, but yeah, I don't know, I'll have to ask uh, Serena or somebody about that one. You have to check the cover of the, of the picture for the podcast. <laughs> it amused me, it doesn't mean you <laughs> uh, Yeah, well, it's good to have you here, Tom, mm-hmm. and uh, th- there's reasons you're here. I will have uh, done an introduction there, um, but loosely, what was it you did for a living? Loosely, loosely, for... For about 28 years, I was uh, a camera man or camera person, as you because know, as, you know, there's plenty of camera women, you know, doing the job as well at the time. But I, I was, uh, I, 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 tra- I basically uh, travelled the the world through Africa and uh, um, uh, the Middle East a lot, and uh, the subcontinent, and uh, latterly the Far East, travelling, just covering stories for mostly American companies, uh, broadcasters. And um, it was a, a very uh, a unique experience. Um, I don't think uh, the opportunity really exists now to do something like that for so long, uh, so consistently for so long. Um, uh, I think the, that um, we lived in a world of, um, in the 80s and 90s when I was uh, doing most of my work, we lived in a world where the mainstream media was the predominant uh, uh, arbiter of information to the public, and uh, and uh, we uh, weren't very there weren't very many of us. Uh, and say. what uh, name a few places in the world? I'm sure people will recognise the names of these places of places that have had conflict. Oh yeah. And was it was it the conflict that drew you to these places? Yeah, oh, absolutely. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, so, I mean the, the people that. Uh, cover these, uh, these, what they call hostile environments, or what used to be called war zones, but I prefer hostile environments, uh, was, um, you know, the urge for adventure, the urge to see how, what really went on, which wasn't what we think it is a lot of the time. 
and uh, we see also, also to see what humanity is like in, in, in extremis, you know, sort of like you know, how bad people can be and, and how saintly and how wonderful people can be too. Um, I, uh, I, I, I just couldn't go and work in a, uh, nothing wrong with factory work, but I, was, I, I couldn't go and do a nine to five job, it wasn't for me. And uh, I had uh, this, this wonderful opportunity uh, in a pub in West London, sort of said, you know, I applied for a job and they said, you know, you know, you know, um, they come to call TNT at the time and uh, they, uh, they sort of kind of interviewed me, but uh, they really wanted to go to the pub at lunchtime and they took me to the pub at lunchtime because I just turned up at the right time. I think if I turned up at half nine or three o'clock, <laughs> I wouldn't have got the job. Okay. <laughs> I just happened to be there. I just turned up at opening time, so let's go to the pub, we can talk with them. <laughs> and then down in the pub was where you got the job. And basically, no, but what happened in the pub was very strange, was that, you know, you know how it was the, 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 the guy introduced me, sort of went to order a couple of drinks, and in, as you're standing waiting, you look around the pub to see who else is there, it's a normal sort of thing. And there's one guy standing in the corner who's laughing to himself, smoking a cigarette. I'm like, really laughing to himself. Okay. And I thought, oh, thank goodness, I don't have to deal with that guy and the guy today. <laughs> and the guy who's buying me a drink turns around and looks over and goes, Steve, there you are, here's Tom. <laughs> <laughs> So you were to be his cameraman, is that? I was going to, I was going to be a sound recordist. You know, okay, sound general assistant, and he's uh, and like, he was uh, just uh, one of the most wonderful people I've ever met. His, his name's Steve O'Neill, and uh, he uh, and we just went on a bender. We just clicked right away, <laughs> and uh, sometime late into the evening, he says, "Listen, Bruce," he calls everybody Bruce at the time. All right. He says, uh, "Do you want to come with me to Beirut?" And I said, "Yeah, sure." Where's Beirut? <laughs> okay, that was it. You first first stop Beirut. Yeah, yeah. And how? Name some of the other places that you've been. Oh, oh, yeah. That's your question. Yeah, no, I've, uh, um, I'm roughly. I mean, basically, if you go through the eighties and nineties, I've been probably into most of the trouble spots, and you've probably seen some of my pictures one way or the other, or the pictures of people I know, more likely. Um, you know, so I started off uh, going to Beirut, and I saw. Uh, uh, from the Palestinian, the, those Palestinians in the south of south of Beirut city itself, uh, Beirut, uh, there's a Palestinian camp called Sabra and Chichilla, and I arrived just after that massacre that took place there. Okay. And so I uh, saw what um, uh, the, the, the at that time what the Israelis were capable of, and sort of scared me a lot. And um, and there was a war going on between the Phalangists and the uh, the Christian Phalangists and the and the, the Muslims and the South, that's the Palestinians, let's call them Palestinians. And uh, that was, uh, and we had to cross the green line and basically it's so risky, once you cross the green line, you're kind of stuck on the other side until you're brave enough to go back over the green line again. Okay. And uh, you know, and, uh, and the place that marked the boundary was the, the Holiday Inn. And what they used to do was they had the little carts and you used to lie on the cart and sort of pull you across. Really? Yeah, so I was mad. Completely mad. You were yeah, I was 22, so I was really stupid and thought it was great. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> of course, who doesn't want to get pulled across a car to a war zone? Yeah, at 22. <laughs> Sounds like fun. Yeah, then there was um, the, uh, the Afghanistan. I was there for three months. And uh, so I lived with um, the Mujahideen at the time, living in the mountains. And that was. So this would have been the. That was August 22, after the Israeli year. So, so, so this would uh, the, the, like the 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 war that was going on in Afghanistan wasn't America versus Afghanistan; it was America helping Afghanistan versus Russia. Yeah, I mean, uh, uh, well, we found out years later that uh, 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 Bin Laden was supplied by the Saudi who went there and he got managed to get money in for those guys, you know, yeah, to to fight against the the Russians. Yeah. But you know, from what I could see, most of the time the Afghans were fighting against each other. You know, really? <laughs> we had more trouble with the, because uh, uh, you know, we you know uh, they had to cross sort of tribal. I'll, I'll come back to it later in the conversation. But you know, the, the whole tribal thing is very, very important. Who you're allied with and who yeah. your alliances are, and so like you know, getting a whack, you know, a, a train of um, ammunition plus our equipment into Afghanistan, you had to cross um, tribal areas, and sometimes it went well. Sometimes it didn't go so well, you know, until you got to your place with them, uh, up in the Hindukush. So you needed permission from these different tribal groups yeah, to. Oh, it took go three weeks areas. to get in, and it took nearly a month to get out. Yeah. <laughs> is 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 it? A lot of lot of lot of walking. 
Isn't isn't that a okay. common trope with Afghanistan where they say uh, to conquer is it's it's easy to enter but yeah. very hard to get out? But it's very interesting because yeah. I read up on it before, and so I went to the place where the British were massacred. Oh, um, the yeah. valley. It's uh, yeah, yeah, also called Panchi Valley. Panchi Valley. Valley, and uh, and uh, um, we were also had a book from by Norman Lewis. You know, because we had very little to guide us. You know, mm. there wasn't that much known about the area. And he described in the 50s when he walked through the Hindu Kush and there was a robbery that took place and they killed somebody, banged them on the head, sorry, banged them on the head. And, uh, and one of the thrills of that expedition was actually finding the spot that Norman Lewis described in his book. So that's oh, what wow. happened. Yeah, so you got connected. And then sort of like further down the valley, you know, we, um, we were at a place that I'd read about beforehand that where Alexander the Great had been. Wow. I can't remember the name right off. So that's 40 years ago. I can't remember the names places mm. and that was a massive through I felt a massive connection at yeah. that time because uh, that would have been all there was there was a store with meat hanging on it well wow. you know and uh, it's like flies on the meat mm -hmm. <laughs> yeah and still hair a bit <laughs> <laughs> that would have been the outer reaches of Alexander's empire at the time wouldn't it well you got all the way to the Indus okay and so which was just beyond where we were okay yeah. oh yeah so you know and um, so that felt really uh, like a, a part of history because the conditions I was living in at that time were not very different from what Alexander the Great would have been. We were we had carried all our own food, we had our own water, we uh, totally reliant on the land, which was a problem later on because when we came out, it was so uh, there was literally no food, and we used up all our food supplies. And uh, so I lost a lot of weight. I came out. Where, I went in weighing. Uh, I, weighed, I weighed 140 pounds when I came out, 10 stone, which was very, very little. And for those who can't see Tom, he does not look like a 10 stone man. No, not anymore. Rather broad but, uh, shoulders. Yeah, no. Uh, but I was very skinny at the end, and uh, and uh, and uh, we had sort of like you know. I know it doesn't sound much, but I was crossing a, a river, and my foot slipped on a rock, and I hit my head. Not seriously, but I was really concerned because there was no doctors, mm. no nothing. And um, I thought, no, I was really, really aware that, you know, for most of our history, you know, if you broke a leg, you were dead. Yeah. You know, and, you know, sort of like, you know, and, uh, so I've always had a great value, you know, uh, put on science and uh, medicines and stuff like this because mm. you know, we know that uh, they've really, really helped us. You know, so, uh -huh. you know, you've got, yeah, but we'll come to that later about why it can also be a bad thing, but it's not, it's so, not a bad thing in itself. It's, how did you find the uh, Afghani people at that time? Right. Um, well, I was with the, the northern tribes. Now, I, I had a great um, uh, admiration for the mountain people. Live in, I think live in the, apart from desert people which I'm not so interested in but mountain people live in very harsh conditions and uh, and uh, uh, and it makes you very uh, aware of your own um, how tough it is to survive you know yeah you know we, we you know I grew up in Hackney and it was very tough but this is survival level toughness not not just sort of Status level toughness. Yeah, no, it, was, it wasn't like you know, sort of watching out for rough skinheads on the street or anything like that. Or this was like you know, this is like you know, you either sorted yourself out or you died. Okay. You know, and uh, and I'm going to just digress slightly here, but, and um, I'm going to come back to this uh, again. It's about Robert Fisk. Robert Fisk wrote a great um, uh, book. I can't remember the title, but any of Robert Fisk's book are worth reading. He died a few years ago. And uh, he had a great theory about why the Taliban came to be, and that was because they 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 well, wasn't in the Kush. They were in the in the, in the east with a, in a place called Waziristan, which I went to much many years later, and it's one of the harshest environments I've ever seen. It's just so tough, and just, uh, there's no shred of greenery, and it's just nothing. And uh, he said that because it was so tough. For those Afghanis to live in that environment, they needed a cohesive uh, set of rules to live by, and the most handiest ones they had to hand was the the Quran. You know, there was Islamic anyway, but they actually sort of became very fundamentalist because when you're in those sort of um, survival conditions, you, you you become very fundamental yourself. 
mm. you're not thinking great thoughts you're just thinking about how to get through the day yeah and then you have this sort of a structure a societal structure that says this is how society is organized and that just relieves a lot of pressure because a you're part of that society and b you know what your function is in that society yeah and so like surviving becomes that much easier it's not like you know me and a parker and the brecken beacons you know others i'm with other people yeah and they believe the same thing and we want the same thing and same values yes exact same values mm -hmm. and those values because the harshness of the environment became very fundamental yeah. you know taliban means student in the in the the word Taliban means yeah, student, yeah. student of Islam, I think. Yeah, yeah. So they become absolute um, adherents to the word of uh, the Quran, and I guess they don't have uh, they don't have like the technological infrastructure to enable a more um, complex account and more a more complex system of ideas to take place so i guess the simplification of it be it the bible or the the quran or whatever yeah. it all comes in one book and you can get many different ideas from from the same text yeah. and many uh, many rules of how to live and how to be but but the lack of complexity the simplicity of it makes it appropriate for mountain regions and, and, and living in harsh environments. Right, see. yeah, it gives you a, an intellectual, well, you want to, well that's, that's going to be condescending, but it gives you a, an intellectual framework, an in, a way of thinking about your sort of things, because you're not only by yourself, but with other people. Yeah. And so it's all in it together, you all believe the same thing, so it's, you have a unified social struct, structure, mm -hmm. and you know, sort of variance from that is punished quite yeah. severely. Yeah. So you have sort of a, an intrinsic uh, incentive and an extrinsic incentive to behave a certain way. It's funny that you know the the, the Islamic tradition when it started around six six seven hundred AD, um, and it spread quite rapidly mm -hmm. under the Apasids after the Umayyad went down and under the Apasids. But apparently, there's very little uh, archaeological evidence because apparently. No, not entirely, but most of it spread peacefully. And being that the word Islam means peace. Yeah. And so people took on these ideas. And not only did it spread peacefully, but it didn't cause immediate change. Yeah. So the archaeologists show that, that it wasn't a village burned down, a new one built on top. That it shows that the changes that took place took place over time. Right, yes, yes. And that shows uh, respect for the cultures that were there, for the tribal beliefs that were there, that it wasn't enforced, that everybody has to change immediately. Yeah. So it was, a, like you say, it was a system of ideas that made a cohesive way of living yeah. amongst a broader population. In difficult uh, environments. In difficult environments. Yeah. So basically, uh, very hard, uh, which created a lot of hardship. Mm. And... Um, and the people I was with weren't, weren't Taliban. They were actually fought them later on. After, okay. Yeah. And, um, the Mujahideen. Yeah. And uh, they um, they had a a different take on it. Okay. Yeah. So okay. like yeah. So like you know, there was a and of course when you have two tribes or you know different um, philosophical ideas, you know they clash because yes. you know, you know, well, not inevitably, but uh, you know the academic sense they clash makes it very interesting in real life when you have philosophical or tribal ideas or um, these sort of ideas come together they don't necessarily automatically mingle and mix you know in fairness you know it worked yeah they survived mm. and it's like you know so well oh maybe they would have survived without islamic but I, my person I, if it wasn't islam or it'd be fundamental christian or but there'd be some there'd be some other idea that sort of nurtured and uh, kept them going when times were tough so and and and, and, and made them become a collective and made them become a collective and they felt part of something and that feeling part of something is very important yeah absolutely and in fact you know, so we, you know we can't actually ever get away from it and one of the problems is that you know sort of certainly in uh, my um, we'll come on to it later but my deep concerns is that you know we become so individualistic anatomized mm. in western culture especially with social media yeah you know sort of it's just terrible that people can't socialize with each other properly I share those concerns, Tom. Yeah. But again, we'll come back to that. Yeah, but I mean, sort of like, yeah, but that's uh, that's that's the opposite of what happened there. Mm. And I can see why there would be comfort in having those ideas, even because 
the ideas were no more brutal than the environment that you were living in. Yeah. 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 So they, they matched it somewhat. Yeah. They, they, ma- they matched the reality somewhat. Yeah, reality matched thought. Yeah. You know. And so, like, you know, so we have to be careful. We sort of say, you know, of course, we, we can't, we have to sort of say the time has passed and that's the way of thinking. But it's going to take time. Hmm. can't just sort of say turn a switch say oh no you don't have to worry about living in a cave on a serious time anymore yeah I get you I get you here's a kettle yeah, it's, it's, yeah. it's too built into the system you know? and and why would they change it it worked yeah where, where did you go after that time well then after that I, I went all over the place after that to, during the late 80s um, and if it was any sort of, sort of trouble well, I went to a lot to Northern Ireland and uh I was at uh, Milltown Cemetery when Michael Stone threw those hand grenades, and uh, and that that was at a funeral. That's at a funeral. A loyalist funeral. Uh, uh, an IRA funeral for three people who'd been killed by the SAS in uh, Gibraltar. Okay. And uh, so it wasn't a loyalist one. It was the Milltown Cemetery, which is a Catholic cemetery, and uh, it was rather peculiar because I was at the back, and uh, I was at the back of the crowd, which is not normally where I'd be. Yeah. But we had another crew there and they were at the front so what happens then is like you divide the labour so okay. you just concentrate on what was going on the front and I just got all the extra shots Okay. so it's like a, it was like a day you know sort of day at the office kind of thing Yeah. and you know then the hand grenades went off and uh, and um, and uh, the sound recordist his name's Andy Lawrence so it's basically sort of saved us because you know, I was just transfixed by what was going on and he just sort of pulled me out of the way and said, you know, get behind here. A qu- quick question now. You said the word transfixed there and it's something that, that, that I've wondered in conversations with you. When you're behind the camera... Oh, yeah. And, okay. and there's something going on, like the hand grenades. Yeah. Not that you feel invulnerable, but do you feel somewhat detached? Like, you have to keep the camera on it. Do you feel somewhat... I, I can't run. I can't move. I have to keep watching. What's the only reason I'm there? Yeah. I'm sorry, that's why I'm there. Yeah. So you have to literally be pulled away from that most of the time. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, I just want to... And also, you know, you have to have a, a bit of ambition and stuff. You have to sort of like want to do something. You want to be there. I'm like, you know, I wasn't going to go all the way there and... Uh, I mean, I've done this before in other places. I have gone all the way there and hidden behind a wall. But, you know, <laughs> yeah. you know, but I'm like, you know... Um, but mostly, you know, you just really wanted to uh, uh, get what was going on. And, I was, yeah. and also, it's very confusing because all I heard was a lot of bangs and a lot of people running. Yeah. And I was trying to figure out, I just had a, a wide shot on the lens. I was trying to figure out what was going on. Yeah. And I was looking for some kind of clue as to what I was going to do next. I just, I just held a wide shot. And that's when I was pulled out of the way because Andy had seen what the trouble was and it was coming our way. Hmm. And he actually, apparently, took a shot at us. I mean, that's what I was told afterwards. I don't know. But our van became like an ambulance, and they put one of the bodies in the van. And I remember it was clear, so that everybody's in a panic, and they kind of kept shutting the door on this guy's head. Oh, Jesus. And, and the, but what's even worse than that was like my sandwiches were on the back seat. <laughs> and I knew that if I didn't get those sandwiches, I wasn't, wasn't going to eat for the rest of the day. <laughs> well, we all have priorities in these moments, don't we, I guess? It's sort of tragic comic, really. So, like, you know, uh, yeah. so, like, you know, so these things happen, you know. So, like, yeah. You know, and uh, John Jordan was our driver and he did a fantastic job and you know yeah. and he did you know his people were wonderful yeah it is amazing though isn't it how that how like the reality of our own survival comes down to in moments like this and tragedy and comedy and sort of like you know what you remember but you need you need the sandwiches you know <laughs> you have a job to do you, you're going to need sustenance yeah. you well, need the sandwiches because I've been doing that job for six years by then and I knew that what was going to happen next was going to be a long night ahead of us yeah okay yeah, so it was kind of like experience kicking in it wasn't sort of like you know me being sort of a princess about it. well yeah you know, <laughs> you know it wasn't me being a sort of you know yeah a diva a diva about it you know you know it's a practical thing you knew what was important to, for the for the job mm-hmm. um just while we're in northern ireland i've heard you speak like this before so, I, so i'm asking you questions yeah. i already know the answers to but what do you think had a big impact on the on peace coming to the north particularly around the Falls Road area well, well, well you have to sort of, sort of trick them I mean sort of, well, well the Falls Road and Shankar Road are sort of like I don't know if any people know the geography of Belfast but um, the Falls Road kind of goes directly 
west side of the centre of Belfast and uh, the, Ch- the Shank Road kind of parallels it slightly to the north and it goes on for like a mile and a half uh, well more than that actually more than that yeah and uh, and the, the people had nothing now people were really you know they were really I mean, certainly the uh, the Catholic uprising six, you know the civil rights things in 67 68 you know for 68 69 sorry were um, absolutely justified I mean because they had a really bad job but what made it worse was that over on the Shankill Road in the housing they had was just the same it was as bad it was as bad and uh, you know I remember very clearly one day I was in somebody's house and uh, and on the on the cameras on a tripod and there's a tripod arm and I moved the tripod arm and the tripod arm sank into the wall because it was so damp oh wow you know and later on the day I think it was the same day uh, we were over on the other side with the Protestants and uh, they were saying the same things they always say but I was looking at the wall and I thought it's the same thing the you same know. dampness the yeah, same yeah. You, know, you guys are just the same living in the same squalor yeah yeah, yeah you've been conned I, I, yeah. I know I'm going to get from my legs broken for that but you know, you know, you know. yeah and you've been treated badly both of you yeah yeah. yeah, so there really wasn't that much difference between the sides yeah. other than the stories they were believing and about each other and about yeah. themselves. And what really changed it all was that uh, the, the, the the British government, after trying so many stupid things, finally came to the senses and said, you know, we just need to give these people, put some cash in these people's pocket. So they created sort of like the, the, the big shopping centre and the, made... Um, the Seagate factory came there and so like suddenly these all these young lads and young women had jobs and a bit of money in their pocket mm. and you know do you want to earn some money or do you want to throw a brick at a soldier it's like no I've got money to take my girlfriend out I'm going to go out with my girlfriend yeah so it's, it's, just, it's, it's, it's a simple social level like that and people dress up in politics and stuff but I was watching it all and that's what I saw and for you it was just giving people a sense of purpose a sense of self-worth there's something to do during the day yeah because yeah, both you know up until that point both sides had nothing yeah you know and it was a real working class war as well yeah you know and people got their degrees in long cash and the prisons and stuff like that yeah yeah you know uh, and you know that's, a, that's very important to remember as well these yeah. were you know on the car over here we were talk, talking about um, uh people being um, educated and mm. stuff like that and it's incredibly vitally important that people do have the opportunity of education because yeah. you know it gives them a more sophisticated way of uh, uh, talking about what the problem is and therefore it's more there's a chance of having a more sophisticated solution yeah yeah, yeah. did you ever uh, did you ever get hurt in the north sort of <laughs> how so Oh, sort of. I don't know. Somebody's just hit me in the face. <laughs> <laughs> oh, well, do tell the story, <laughs> Tom. <laughs> no, it was, I was just down at the dispatch like 83 or something, and so there's a car uh, on fire, and this kid, it couldn't have been more than five, six, seven, said, so, you know, get out of here, Mr. Fire. You know, so, so you were standing at the car on fire? I was standing the car on fire. And, uh, and there was, you know, the, and, uh, and he said, "You're going to get out, get out of here." And so I'm going to take advice from a five-year-old kid or yeah. seven-year-old kid, and it's like, "Yeah, I'll take advice from you. I'm going to leave." Yeah. So I went. I went to. Be, well, I just wandered behind this uh, army truck for shelter, and this guy just hit me in the face with his rifle. Just when the army guys hit me on the lip, and it really, really hurt. I didn't hit me hard that hard, but it really hurt. Did he know who you were? Dick, you know. yeah, okay. <laughs> you had the adrenaline up and stuff like yeah, that. Yeah, I mean, yeah. I've, got no, I've got no problems with him, you know. He was hitting whatever came close, I suppose. Yeah, yeah, he was I mean, doing I mean, his I'm, job. He was having a bad day, and that was the first thing he saw. So, I was okay. like, yeah, so, yeah, I didn't take it personally, but I did hurt a lot. <laughs> so, over to maybe another part of the world, you spend a lot of time in Africa and different places in Africa. Oh, yeah, yeah. yeah. I'm not really a, a major African hand, like some people sort of spend. The whole lives and careers doing that, but I'm, uh, I went there quite a bit, yeah. Yeah, what parts of Africa did you see? Most of the, the east side, Kenya, Somalia, um, which is probably the, one of the worst places I've ever been to, uh, but Zambia, Botswana, South Africa, yeah, those sort of places, yeah. And what were you there reporting on? Well, Somalia was uh, back in two th- 1993, 
and you know a couple of people have gone why anybody was bothering with that place at all <laughs> right it was just an awful place that they they have a drug they have a drug there called cat yeah it doesn't grow there they have to fly in and it's QAT and it just makes you stupid okay I tried it cause, okay yeah, why not you know a bit of curiosity I thought when in Rome when in Rome and uh, and I I thought I was alright then I called up some a friend of mine in London she said what's wrong with you <laughs> <laughs> You know, yeah. yeah. I still can this cat. It makes it sound as thick as a plank. Okay, <laughs> yeah. so that was the end of the cat, I guess. That was the end of the cat. Yeah. I didn't get high or anything. I don't even know why they do it. And this is the stuff. Uh, the Somali pirates and that are still. Uh, That's what they're on. Yeah, doing yeah. that stuff. Yeah, aren't they? yeah. Yeah, and um, it's a, it's a, it's just a stupid drug to do, and, yeah. and, and to make you stupid. But it, what was what was tough about Somalia was that uh, was that uh, the cat made stupid and stupid people guns is a massive problem okay yeah and uh, you know uh, CNN um, they had uh, five of the local crew killed because you know people some just let off a machine gun you know outside the hotel just shot into the hotel for no reason no no the, the, the drivers were outside and some didn't like them just shot them yeah, so yeah, yeah. and uh, we were on a, uh, the roof of the hotel, and uh, we could sort of see sort of what was going on, and sort of uh, I don't know. There was a lot of I'm mean, like, uh, like we were, for example, it's it's we filmed uh, a helicopter just filming because it's there, you know, not not because, and uh, it let off a couple of rockets. And, the uh, helicopter left off, let off rockets. Yeah, let off rockets, and we got it on tape. And um, and uh, later on that afternoon, we were at a press conference, and uh, the and um, the rocket had taken out a tea hatch. The, the, the helicopter, was, um, but uh, the, they wouldn't admit it. We asked them the questions, and they wouldn't admit it. Wow. So we said, well, no, no, we saw you do it. And that was. Uh, oh, I mean, I didn't know where the rockets went, and they just rocked into the city yeah. into the roof. So I don't know that it was a tea house until much later. But it was a Somali military government military that was that had that helicopter. Yeah? No, no, it's the US. A US military. Yeah. And Black Hawk Down, uh, I just find unwatchable. I just think you know because it's. I, I know it's factually correct and stuff like that, but it doesn't sort of get the the horror of what. You know, you sort of see them shooting and a bunch of people fall over. Yeah. Yeah, but it's not like that. You know, it's, you know, when people get shot, they don't all die immediately. They start writhing on the ground, screaming, and, you know, you know, it's not like, you know, a Hollywood movie at all. No. And I thought that was a huge injustice in the film. It just didn't treat the Somalis as human beings. And they tell the story of Americans very well, but, and, but you know, there's, there's, these are just people to get shot up, and they shot up like a thousand people. But the thing is, you know, uh, they, you know, they, they just don't die immediately. Then. No, and there's no hope for them. There's no hope for them because there's no medical help. There's nothing there for them, and you just—I mean, I wasn't there when it happened, but I could sort of see what the situation was. We had, uh, we went out um, uh, one day. Myself and a guy called Paul Douglas, who uh, sadly died, uh, was killed, and uh, we uh, we filmed the, the crowd, and um, and. Uh, the Pakistani army was used under the blue helmets that were part of the UN thing. And this opened up into the crowd of the 50 cow. Where was this? That's Mali in Mogadishu. And, you know, we were there, like, you know, it's, it's just a horror story, right? And uh, and this poor woman had been hit on the side of the head. And I remember looking down at her and thinking, you know, this, I can't do anything for you. You know, there's nothing I can do for you. And she's still alive. And uh, then... The crowd turned on us, and this guy hit me in the face with a rock. And you know, I don't know if you've ever been hit hard in the face, but your knees go, your legs go. And Paul just grabbed me, just held me up, and just sort of shoved me in the car. And they were trying to push the car and overturn it and stuff, and the driver got us out of there. I mean, but I was dazed. I, I mean, I, I've no, I, I have no sense of how long all that took. It wasn't long, but it was. Um, but I mean, you know, my jaw was like. Yeah, that's getting hit in the face with a rock is expensive. Yeah, yeah. 
Wow. And and that was obviously them outraged at what they saw as yeah, Western so yeah, killings. Yeah, I mean, so that we could have been sort of, you know, just, you know, bad things to have happened to us. I mean, we were well, very lucky that time. Yeah. Thanks to Paul. Yeah. yeah. But uh, but the the, the, the the point I was making about that film Black Hawk Down is like, you know, just says, you know, you're shooting the crowd, a bunch of people fall over, and it's not like that. It's yeah. Not, you fly away with Creed's Clearwater Revival playing and yeah, all is good. Yeah, I think sort of like yeah. that. I mean, I know it's Hollywood and have to tell stories and stuff like that, but, uh, you know, that sort of carnage is... They're human beings at the yeah, end of the day yeah, that are being yeah, killed. I, yeah. Yeah, they'll probably never, yeah, probably never be friends of mine, but I'm like... But they've got, they've got, they've, they've, they've come from a family. They've come yeah. from a tribe, an area. Yeah. They're going to be missed. They might have kids. They might have parents. They've yeah, people yeah. who rely on them. People who yeah. love them, and they love people. Yeah. And yet, in the movies, I've often thought of this myself, particularly as I've got older. As yeah. I was young, I was a fan of John Claude Van Damme and all these guys, yeah. and Stallone, and looking back at their movies now, and thinking of like the body counters. Then, when I was young, I thought it was cool. They were flying through, killing, shooting bazookas all the weapons Schwarzenegger with yeah. the big guns and they were just killing reams of people yeah yeah but nowadays when I look back and I think that that, that, that they were real people obviously not in the movie yeah. but what they were representing was the killing of real actual people yeah, yeah and it was portrayed as if these people were nothing as soon as the bullet landed that was it that was over yeah. but as you're saying that created a lot more suffering yeah, I mean, imagine playing a video game where if you shot up a bunch of people, that you had to stick around afterwards mm. and patch them up, especially kid. Imagine that sort of video game. That'll be good, actually. I like yeah. that. Yeah, you know, it's just yeah. like you know, you know, would video games be like that be popular? I don't think so. They probably wouldn't. But I wish they had them because you know people understand that you shoot at people, you know, there are terrible yeah. consequences. Terrible consequences. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, well, thanks for that, Tom. We'll move sorry, on. No, 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 no. Hey, that's that's exactly what we're here for. That 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 was. Uh, there's another thing. Uh, a story you've told me before it happened in Africa, and somebody asked you a seemingly simple question. Oh right, yes, yes, I know where you're going. Yeah, yeah. So go on. Oh, what, what happened was I was in um, uh, Uganda, and I went up to the north of Uganda, and uh, they just recently had a. Uh, oh, the shining light. Oh, no, it's chilly. Okay, I'm getting old now. That's okay. <laughs> That's okay. No, but you know, it's some, it's some uh, comp, you know, some sentence-long group, and uh, they uh, they reach. They, they, um, they, were, they were terrible people, but uh, we went up there and we didn't come into contact with them at all. I, I, um, we heard some terrible stories for what they did, but I didn't come into contact with them. But uh, one night I was uh, with the driver, who's a Ugandan guy, and. Uh, I could sense that he wanted to ask me something. You know, we're having a couple of beers and stuff, but I knew there was, I knew something was coming. And I didn't know what, but I, I sort of, and I sort of, then he sort of finally mustered up the courage and sort of said, you know, so can I ask you something? I said, yeah, sure, yeah, go ahead. Yeah, I've been waiting all evening for you to ask me something. And uh, he said, yes, he says, do you know where you're going to be buried? And I like, thought never occurred to me in my life. Yeah. And like, you know, I said, no. And like, he goes, it's true. What's true? He says, you, know, you don't know where you're going to be buried. I said, no, I haven't a clue. He says, I said, do you know where you're going to be buried? Well, yes. As, as, of course. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Absolutely, of course. Like, you know, like, you know, like the village idiot or something. Yeah. <laughs> you know, and, uh, uh, sort of, and we just started chatting about this. And um, he knew right from when he was born that he was going to live and that he was going to die. And that he knew where he was going to die. And uh, and uh, I never had that feeling. No. And it set me on a, got me really thinking about the fact that if I knew all through my life that uh, that not, not not just figuratively, but literally, that I knew I was going to die, and this is where I was going to put be put in the ground. How would I live my life differently? How do I relate to people differently? How do I relate to the world differently? Because now I think, you know, a Western child, I think I'm going to live forever, and mm. then the lights go off one day, and I hope I won't notice. Yeah. You know, that's that's our philosophy, isn't it, here in the West? It's, it's pretty nihilistic like that, yeah. all right, yeah, but it's, it sounds to me like that uh, young Ugandan chap um, saw himself as part of a, a larger cycle of life. 
absolutely know, yeah I'm like, that's, the, that's the whole point it's like you know so like you know he was connected to his own death yeah and like that made life he knew that everybody else around him was going to die you know life was a finite and that life was about living and mm. about the people around you and about your relations you were like relationships and the things that mattered to you and yeah. what, what mattered to them was social interaction social interaction yeah. seems different to what matters to us here in the west I mean material things seem to be hugely important to us in the west although they're not unimportant in places like Africa but well I mean, like, yeah, I mean sort of, yeah, on the flip side of that was with a, a young boy and just, just outside the capital compound I'm mean, like yeah outside not very far 10 kilometers maybe but he's living in a, a straw hut or mud hut how you like to categorize these things and uh, he said, you know, he's, you know, he said, you know, talk about football as he normally do with a kid, a twelve-year-old boy. And he said, uh, I said, oh, I, you know, I support Arsenal. I grew up a mile and a half from the ground, you know. No, not supporting Arsenal. No, kind of thinking. He said, oh, I support Arsenal too. And I said, yeah, that's great. He says, come and look. And so I went to his house and he had posters of the Arsenal team, pieces of the <laughs> Arsenal team on the wall, stuff like that. And I said, yeah. And he says, and he says, yeah, yeah, it's my main thing. I like to listen to the scores and listen to the matches if I can on the radio and stuff like that. And he me in my heart. And what struck me was in the conversation was that he knew so much about my life and I knew nothing about his life. Yeah. And all the people here over here are sort of like, you know, sort of support Galway United or whatever. They don't understand that, that, that desire to support a team or uh, is... The same as that boy's desire to support a team. Something outside that you can get behind and stuff like yeah. that. And it's something that we share. And But also, his life is so different from ours. Yeah. And we have to appreciate that that just because we have this surface kind of connection, you know, we're not really connected below that because his first loyalty is to his family, his ch children, his way mm. of life. And although, and I've seen it elsewhere since, although I hate to say they, or but you know, people from sort of say developing countries know about how what we have and what we have and how we are they kind of like it who wouldn't it's great I mean, we're mm. in a nice house in Galway and whatever but uh, the price they're unwilling to pay is to give up their social structures and stuff like that because they see here in the West that we, we gave that up and we're paying a terrible price for giving that up so it's like uh, look I I I like the stuff you have. Of course, we like the stuff you have. The stuff that the West has built, the material gadgets. It's fantastic. For it's sure, been yeah. it's fantastic, and it's been built to appeal to animals like us. Yeah, and they are animals like us. We're yeah. all we're all the same in that mm -hmm. sense. But they are like, I yeah. Of course, we want all the stuff that you have. Who wouldn't? But I want to know where I'm going to be buried <laughs> you know yeah. I, I don't I don't want to lose my sense of being part of a larger life cycle I don't want to lose my sense of being part of a larger tribe yeah. and, and and a very real sense of of death yeah I, 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 and I guess in places like that death isn't as hidden as it is in western cultures uh, we tend to push it to the side nowadays in western cultures uh, well, certainly, sort of coming from, uh, you know, my, you know, I grew up in England, it's sort of like, you know, when people die, they're just not around anymore. Yeah. And, uh, you know, you obviously can't lament forever the passing of others, but there's also a connection that you have with those that have passed that you mustn't forget about. You know? Yeah. You know, you know, you wouldn't be here if it wasn't for them. Yeah. And then we come from a long, long line of people who survived the most terrible environments for us to be here. Yeah. You know, so like, you know, we need to sort of like say, you know, our, f our forebears may not be our cup of tea, but we wouldn't be here without them. Um, yeah. You know, it's sort of like, you know, there's, sort of, there's a kind of um, uh, obedience, is the right word, you know, you have to sort of like, you know, sort of say, thank you very much. We wouldn't yeah. be here without you. Yeah. You know, we just don't respect our, that respect for tradition, no, tradition's a really ugly word, right, yeah. in the West, but I mean, like, you know, the tradition's terribly important because it goes from one generation to other and keeps everything connected. Yeah. You know, and we say, um, I'm, I'm all for traditions that have outlived their value to be discarded. But there are important traditions like, you know, sort of like taking care of each other and sort of like, you know. Wisdom traditions, I feel wisdom, like. Yeah, yeah, yeah that's right. Yeah, that's, better, that's better way of looking at it, yeah. 
Can yeah. I stop for a moment? I need to go to the Let's take a break, Tom. Yeah. That's good. <laughs> okay, we're back. Um, bladder's relieved. Yeah. <laughs> Sorry, yeah. No problem. I'm playing on now. Uh, we, we, even the young have bladders, what can <laughs> I say? But uh, the question of Lucy, Tom, a story you told me once about a, about a lady I've, I've revered since, even though I've never seen her, but the idea of her that you put in my head. Tell me the uh, Lucy story. Well, the background is that... Uh, yeah, so the background was um, in, when the Hutsis and Tutsis started butchering each other in Rwanda, or well, one did more to the other than the other did back, I guess. Uh, but... Uh, we flew into Goma, which is um, an awful place. I'm, no offense to the people who live there, but it's pretty awful. And um, and it's uh, basically built on volcanic uh, kind of uh, uh, gravel, if you like, or rocks and stuff like that. And it's very inhospitable. The lake there, there's a big lake there, and uh, there's nothing living in it because uh, there's, oh, every now and then a huge bubble of methane comes up and kills everything. And uh, so it's just an incredibly bleak, inhospitable place, and uh, you know, for the poor people who are escaping the, the the pogrom in Rwanda, going from whatever um, Rwanda's beautiful, going from there to there to this place was just another step towards hell. And uh, uh, I was on the second wave of. Um, those, so the people who've been there before really had a tough time. I had it much much easier than the uh, the crews that would be there before me, and uh, we were there pretty much the same time. Medicine Sans Frontier was setting up a, a, a refugee camp, you know, and uh, these things. Uh, I mean, I really despise these uh, ads you see on TV around Christmas time, where they show some poor African child with flies flying around them, starving. And uh, uh, for a number of reasons, one, it's easy to get those pictures, uh, which is tragic in itself. And, you know, it's kind of exploiting them to get people to give money, which I think is kind of wrong. That's not the right, it's just not the right way to do it because these people are suffering. And to put the pictures on your TV to sort of evoke sympathy and, uh, in. It's, it's so manipulative, I just despise it. I just despise it because there's a huge injustice to the people that are there because mm. they're real human beings and they really are suffering. Mm. They're not just objects of uh, pity. Okay. And, that's, and that's, I just, you know, when I see those ads for the, uh, uh, the charity, the, you know, non NGOs, yeah. I, just, I just want to throw a brick at the TV, you know, because mm. yeah, I think it's morally wrong what they're doing to take money off people in that manner. Okay. It's okay to take money, but not that way. And uh, I uh, went just, to... Just, they're taking money, but they've somehow taken whatever pride them people have left by plastering their pictures up. Like yeah, that. yeah. I mean, there's something morally wrong about it. And, okay. You know, and I think it's detestable that they do it. And, you know, because who are they to get the money off? They get the pro- money probably sort of poor grannies and stuff like that. Probably don't have the money to spare anyway. Yeah. Yeah, sort of like, you know, who's sort of like, you know, whose natural instinct is to give some money, which is was totally admirable. Yeah. And they're just exploiting the situation, I think, as evil. Okay. And they're obnoxious, and kind of, as said, uh, detestable. And uh, I was there, and uh, I went, so we went over to the, the camp to see what was going on, because this film an element for the story. Probably wouldn't be about the camp, but it would still film an element. And how these things are... Um, uh, broken, uh, organised. There's basically three areas. There's a, there's a, a triage area. There's an area where you go, where you stand a chance of being helped. And there's another area you go to where, you're, yeah, you're on the way out. And these people, people aren't stupid. They know when they go to the third tent, they're done for. They're, because they're just not going to get the help because it's not going to come to them when when it when it comes down to it and you're really restricted on what provisions and medical provisions you have mm-hmm. decisions have to be made on on, on who you yeah. give them to and they're obviously going to give them more to the people they see as having a higher chance of survival absolutely you only have x amount of medicine in the truck mm. or bandages or whatever medicine really and uh 
So you knew these people, you know, you go to this this tent and it's it's way worse than anything they show you on those NGO commercials. Mm. You know, it's it's way worse because these you know, they're not they're people just like you and me and they know they're done for. Yeah. Yeah. And it's a particular kind of tone or it's not apathy, apathy is the wrong word, but it's a kind of dreadful acceptance of their fate. Okay. And uh, it's hard to be around, and uh, and uh, we filmed, of course, and you know, from the people who are going to get treated, and they were happy, you know, because they yeah. survived. So, like, you know, great. And um, this one girl, she was English girl from Leeds. She's about twenty three years old at the time. So this, and uh, and uh, her job uh, was to basically filter people through the, the tents to which way to go. So she was the decision maker. Yeah, she's the arbiter of life and death. Wow. And, uh, and you know, she was doing her job and I just got talking to her, her name was Lucy. And uh, I said to her, yeah, is there anything you need? We can, we got, we've got some provisions ourselves. We can get you something. She says, you know, well, I want a cup of tea. <laughs> and I sort of laughed and we sort of like, you know, says, and, uh, and I said, what's your story then? And she said, you know, I was, um, I, I, was a, I trained as a nurse and uh, learned some French for six months and, and here I am. <laughs> so straight from training as a nurse. Yeah, yeah, to uh, learning a bit of French. Learned a bit of French and, and then she, got landed out there. Yeah, and her job was sort of basically, you know, she was, uh, she was going to, she decided whether you're going to live or die. And um, am I And she knew it, and she knew it, and she knew absolutely knew what the responsibility was. And she behaved like a real troop. She was an absolute hero, hero of mine anyway. Yeah. Because, you know, would I be brave enough or strong enough to do that? Not just like for a few minutes, but all day long, day after day. And, to go and still be cheerful and uh, talk to people normally. And to go to bed with them decisions haven't been made. That's, yeah, that's it, of course you're like going to make the wrong decisions. Of course. Because we're all human. Yeah. Yeah. I really hope that she doesn't uh, get bogged down by that. No, no. It's an incredibly hard position she was put in. And uh, I've heard you talk about her before and she seemed to accept the challenge like an absolute trooper and, and, and get on with it. Yeah, and you know, and I think that's, uh, she's a wonderful example of how wonderful people can be. Mm. You know, we think we have tough lives here because we do a boring job, you know, whatever. Or, but you know, when, how many of us would step up to the plate put in that similar situation? And not just for a few minutes, but day after day. Mm. And all you really want is a cup of tea and a chat. Yeah. And, uh, and uh, that's sort of, whenever I think, get a bit, a bit bleak about how, how terrible humanity is, I always remember her and think, yeah, that's how wonderful it can be as well. Yeah. Yeah. There's, uh, there's good people out there, no doubt about it. Yeah. Uh, yeah, okay, so... Thanks for telling me that story, Tom, on tape. It's, uh, it's, it's something that has hit me before and I hope it has caused some reflection or some yeah. stirring of something in the listeners too. Uh, I, mean, I think it's, it's not about um, the circumstances you find, it's about your response to it. Yeah, yeah. 